On behalf of the European Association for International Education, welcome to the inaugural episode of the EAIE podcast series. I'm Laura Rumbly, Associate Director for Knowledge Development and Research at the EAIE. Our podcast series aims to bring you voices, perspectives, ideas, and insights into a wide range of topics that matter to the international education professional in Europe and beyond. As of our launch here in September 2020, we're aspiring to bring you a new podcast episode every week or two with the goal of keeping you connected, stimulated, and frankly excited about the complex and fast-moving world around us and what it all means for our field. podcast format allows us to get up close and personal with individuals who are thinking about international higher education and the world at large in particular ways and who can get us to think more deeply and widely too. I think you'll agree that our first guest in this series, Aminata Cairo, is someone who excels at precisely that. Aminata was, until very recently, a lector of inclusive education at the Hague University of Applied Sciences here in the Netherlands. She's now an independent consultant focused on matters of diversity, inclusion, and organizational change. Many of you will likely recall Aminata's powerful and moving closing plenary address at the 31st annual EAIE conference and exhibition in Helsinki in 2019. By the way, if you missed it or want to see it again, you can find video of that address by visiting the EAIE blog at eaie.org blog and simply searching on Aminata's name. Among the key messages she delivered at our 2019 conference were the power of stories, the hard work involved in honestly pursuing greater inclusion across our societies and institutions, and the enormous potential for positive change that we can collectively effect. Our latest conversation with Aminata, captured here in this episode, touches on those themes again and considers these ideas through the lens of the extraordinary new challenges and opportunities we now face in 2020. So you are a medical anthropologist by training. In addition, you're a teacher and a trainer and a researcher around issues of diversity and inclusion in all kinds of contexts, educational, organizational, community contexts. You're also, and what I find really fascinating about you is that you're a storyteller. And I was curious to know what drew you to storytelling specifically, and how did this idea of anchoring much of your work in the power of stories really crystallize for you? Well, it's really a combination of both personal and professional. Uh, I come from uh, originally from Suriname. And so within our tradition, the African diaspora, the oral tradition is, is very important. So within my family, to be able to tell a story is very important. So, uh, so I got that from very little on. And then um, initially, academically and professionally, I started in, in psychology. And I started as a clinical psychologist, which is all about connecting with somebody's story. And then from there, I went shifted into anthropology, which is also about what is our story as a group and helping people tell their own stories. And so what I've found uh, more and more that what resonates with me connecting with people is, you know, it's just, you know, it just makes sense to me. It's just something I'm comfortable with. And, and also what I find is other people also connect with, you know, everybody like stories, whether they know it or not. And, and we think in stories and we relate in stories. And um, yeah, so, so that combination of professional and personal and just basically my outlook on life, I would say. 
Um, in what ways have international and intercultural education and personal experiences shaped you, would you say? And how does that inform your work to advance different aspects of the diversity and inclusion agenda in the various contexts in which you're trying to help people affect positive change? Well, like you said, you know, it's, it's basically my life story. And even in the Netherlands, I was born and raised in the Netherlands, but still as an immigrant, you know, and, and so you're here, but you're also not from here. And so, so that's always there. And then, um, and so when I left to the U.S., um, I was able to connect, but you're still not from there. So, this, so it has always been part of my personal story, my academic story. And especially when you're an international student, you connect with other international students. So you become very aware about the stories that people bring to their education. So I remember, for instance, you know, so you have one student who was older, but that's because he had saved his money and sent all his brothers and sisters to school first. And then it was his time. Or I know this girl from Iran who had to escape through Switzerland and England to get to the U.S. and knew she would never be able to go home. So you see people who have made major sacrifices to get their education. So you become very aware um, what education means to people, what it can mean to people individually, but especially their communities at home. So that's a very special uh, thing that I gain from that and that I take with me you know, to not take education for granted and to see what it can do. And, and also, and who's being left out. You know, we take for granted that we can go to school. And like, oh, let me try this for you. Let me try that for you. There are people who, can't, who would love to go, but who can I go? So it's very much a privilege that we have. And so it's important that we treat it as such and accordingly and, and uh, really use our time well. And, and as an educator, you know, to make sure that, that we have those students um, then we take their stories into consideration. You don't know what somebody's story is. You don't know how much they have sacrificed. And even when I was in Kentucky, you know, even the story, I went to school, uh, Berea College, which is for poor Appalachian students. So they have made major sacrifices to get there. You know, and it means something to those communities, those poor rural communities, that their children can go to education, um, go, to, go to college. So, um, so, so in that way, it has, it has shaped me. It has shaped my passion. And it shaped my patience and not, and so I cannot just have the attitude of, well, either you get it or you don't. And if you don't, then perhaps you should not be here. You know, the fact that you are here means something. It means something to you. It means something to your community. So we have to do our utmost, make sure you get something out of being here. Um, that's what that has, uh, how it has shaped me. So you've touched on this really important idea of opportunity, really, and yeah. the, the channels that people are moving through in their lives that are more or less complicated, more or less difficult, more or less smooth. Yeah. It brings me to this notion of inclusion, which is one of the four core values, actually, of the EAIE. And I, I genuinely think that concerns about, about inclusion are keeping up many of my colleagues at night as they're thinking and asking themselves, how do we genuinely create and sustain healthy, inclusive environments and mindsets in the work that we do? The Black Lives Matter movement, though of course sparked by unconscionable events in the U.S., has resonated in Europe and elsewhere. Do you sense that this is potentially a moment of opportunity for European higher education institutions to open the door or open the door wider 
on an important conversation with respect to identity and social justice? Or is this just not the same kind of moment for Europe, especially as you think about your two, the two parts of your lives that span the European and yeah. American context? Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely, I definitely think it's, it's uh, a moment. It's a global moment, you know, because people everywhere have been affected by it. And not just because this happened in the U.S., but I think it was so clearly that some, some lives matter less. You know, that's the basic message, right? And so we really confront it with this idea of inequality. But we have it in all nations. That's why it resonated so much. Sometimes it's just so clear and then that you can no longer avoid it. And, you know, and, and, you know, and throughout Europe, you know, we have immigrants here, we have refugees here, we have, um, you know, from other countries, we have inequalities within country. If you're from the rural area, if you're from the city, we have all kinds of inequalities that we find back in our educational systems. And so if anything, the Black Lives Matter movement has inspired a lot of people to say, wait a second, you know, I'm not gonna be silent about it anymore. Not just about what's happening to black people, but the fact that what's happening to Roma, what's happening to, you know, the rule, what's happening to, you know, just, just to name and call out inequality, period. It has emboldened and empowered people to do that, especially our young people. You know, and so so we're also living in a time that we are so connected through social media. You know, it's no longer far away, you know, on my phone. You know, I'm connected with all these people all over the world. So you feel it, you know, and then also Corona made us feel it, you know, made us feel it, you know, because we so we were already feeling it. (laughs) And so then that happened. So I think that combination was very powerful. And so it touched us on a very deep level and it has emboldened us to address the inequalities that we have anywhere, you know, communally, socially, but also in our educational systems. And so whether you're in Sweden, in England, you know, there's an inequality in, in, you know, inequities in the the educational system. And a lot of people are saying, okay, now we need to do something about it. You know, we can no longer ignore it. We can no longer just go along. And also, and also want to be clear, there have always been people who have been fighting for social justice and to fight inequities in our education. It's not like this was new, right? But there have always been people who, who were yelling and screaming and trying to make headway, but perhaps they weren't heard or perhaps they were, there was just a few of them. But now more and more and voices are joining in that. So also to give credit to those who've been fighting for this for a very long time. I have a, a very dear friend and colleague who shares a, a little bit of a different outlook on the world than I do and characterizes his worldview as informed pessimism, actually. He's always waiting for that other shoe to drop, but he really tries to anchor it, you know, in some real information and data and experience that gives him that little spidey sense that, oh, you know, this is just not going to work out. (laughs) And I wonder, how do you characterize yourself along that continuum? And when we think about these very intense moments that we're living on a variety of fronts in 2020, how, how would you characterize your level of optimism or pessimism about where we're going to find ourselves in a year or two time? Um, I, th- I think I'm more optimistic rather than, than pessimistic, um, because also I hear a lot of cynic, you know, they yell, well, you know, it's just the moment and it's going to die down. But, but steps are being made, even if they are small steps. Steps are being made and people are waking up. And even if they don't get it, that's OK, too, you know, but at least your ears are open, you know, so that's, so that's a step. 
Um, and that's what we need. And so, so I'm optimistic. And at, and at the same time, I'm very realistic as far as what it actually takes, what it takes for the long haul, the hard work that is involved, um, the patience you have to have, the compassion you have to have, the ability to forgive you have to have. You know, a lot of times people are ready and they want to do okay, but no, there's going to be people upset. No, there's going to be people not, you know, know that you're going to encounter that. You have to be willing to deal with that and then still do it, you know, and, and then you might gain one person, but it's still one person. So, so I'm optimistic yet realistic, but, but I also see the potential and, and there, you know, so we are moving forward and it might not be as fast as people would like, but we are. And if we can teach each other, you know, this is what it actually takes. You know, you can not, just not be on fire all the time. Sometimes you have to be quiet. Sometimes you have to listen. Sometimes you have to, you know, take a step back before you can take a step forward. So, so there's also a lot of humility involved in this work. And that's a challenge sometimes, but I'm, yeah, but I'm still pessimistic. <laughs> that's, that is very encouraging. And I really like, you know, hitting those notes of courage and persistence and pacing yeah. and uh, perspective, you know, trying to keep it yeah. all in some broader perspective. Yeah. Very wise, I think, to have all those things in mind. One uh, aspect that I think is interesting potentially for us to touch on, too, is the idea of creativity in this process. So last year at about this time, we were busily preparing for the EAE's 31st annual conference and exhibition in Helsinki, and you were an active participant in that yeah. event, our closing plenary speaker and an author for an essay for our 2019 conference conversation starter publication. And you might recall that the theme that we were working with last year was encompassing all voices. Yes. This year, rather than an in-person conference, uh, which is impossible in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're convening our community online for the first ever community exchange event, which is guided by the theme Forging Creative Pathways. For so many of us, 2020 has been a year of just unprecedented challenges and uncertainty and loss, real loss for some, um, but also of surprising new opportunities and perspectives. I was wondering if this year's guiding idea of ours, Forging Creative Pathways, means anything special to you, your evolving story, your thinking about what education means to the world, or what education can offer us as we face this particular moment in time. Yeah, I, I think it's the perfect theme. I think it's the perfect title because we need, like you said, you know, so COVID in itself, of course, is horrible. And the fact that so many people are affected in terms of their health and their income. So in that sense, it's horrible. But, but at the same time, also by the fact that everything slowed down, also the good things for us, the fact that we were able to, to be still for a second and not run around. And, all, and, and I think a lot of people were inspired to do different things, to look at things differently, where you were kind of, fo- you were forced to be creative. You know, you were forced to be inventive because with the way you normally do things, you can, but you still have certain goals. So, so we were forced to be creative and that's, that's very much growth. And when I think about creativity, especially for us in education, you know, we're so intellectually minded, we so focus on our heads and thinking, you know, so this really forces us to deal with our bodies, right? And how do I feel? And the fact that how I feel will affect somebody else physically. And, and, and we were forced to feel. And, we, and, and even the fact that we were cut off socially from each other, that did something to us. And so we were forced physically to feel. We were also forced to go beyond our intellect because there's stuff you can just not explain. And you have to be okay with it somehow. So as human beings, I think it evolved us to grow in a lot of uh, 
different ways. And so my hope is, particularly when it comes to, to education, that we maintain that we hold on to some of that creativity, some of these things that we have discovered. You know, even the fellow, oh my goodness, I've never taught online. And I was like, oh yeah, ain't nothing but a thing. You know, so, or, or like, oh my goodness, I have to have a Zoom meeting. And I was like, it's nothing but a thing. Now I can only do so many, but I can do them, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so to hold on to that idea of stepping outside of our boxes um, and even, you know, like grading, you know, it's for those of us, you know, who have to teach. So can we do away with grading? We've thought about it for a very long time. We've done all kinds of research of doing better type of assessments. Well, here it is. Figure it out. We have to. And, you know, and, um, and how can we learn in a different way? And, and all these, you know, so I hope we hold on to some of that. And I, I, um, I think that's one of the good things. So I, so I think it's perfect to have that theme right now. It's, it's very fitting. Yes, in, in our growth <laughs> as educators and as human beings. Fantastic. Well, those were really the main areas that I was hoping to cover with you in this conversation. I was wondering if there was anything else that was on your mind at the moment uh, that you just wanted to get off your chest in a conversation with the EAIE, either about the current moment or the, the future ahead. Yeah, I'm, I am interested to see what is going to happen to international um, education, because even there you have very much a division between those who can afford it and those who cannot. And I hope that we use our creativity to make sure that even those who cannot afford it will still be able to partake in having these, you know, international uh, exchanges and experiences. You know, if you're wealthy, you can have a computer and still participate. You know, if you're wealthy, you know, when things get better, you can still travel. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. So what, what can we do to make sure is there something very special about having those international experiences? So, so if anything, that we use our creativity to start thinking about those that are being left out or that have the potential of being left out when it comes to international education. Perfect. That's a really great sentiment on which to conclude. Yeah. Thank you so much, Aminata. We really appreciate your time and uh, as always welcome. your thoughts. That was Aminata Cairo with perspectives on the many roles that stories play in our personal and professional lives, perspectives on the vital importance of making sure we understand where others are coming from, what they've been through, and what they bring to the table, and perspectives on what the difficulties and uncertainties of 2020 have forced us to face, test out, and learn, and the possibility for positive change to come of all of this. There is a lot to unpack there, and that was just episode number one. The EAIE podcast series continues next week with guest Ina van de Castile of the European Commission's Joint Research Center. She'll be joining us to discuss the future of Europe's cities. That episode will be the first of three featuring conversations with contributors to the 2020 EAIE Conversation Starter essay series. Those essays are focused on the idea of forging creative pathways, which is also, of course, the guiding theme for the EAIE Community Exchange, a unique online event scheduled for October 14 to 16, 2020. If you haven't checked out the EAIE Community Exchange, there is extensive information on the EAIE website at eaie.org. The 2020 Conversation Starter Essays are being published on the EAIE blog. We very much hope you've enjoyed this first podcast episode. We appreciate your spreading the word about our series on social media, and we hope you subscribe and continue to listen. We're accessible via any of your preferred podcast platforms. We're also very interested in hearing directly from you. Please 
please send feedback, suggestions, and ideas for guests or topics to info at eaie.org. For now, thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you next time on the EAIE podcast.